Hi, everybody. This is Pastor Tim from Holy Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in Newington, New Hampshire. This is our weekly podcast of the sermon from the prior Sunday. Normally at this time, I have invited everybody to join us for worship at 8, 30, and 11. Uh, but right now we're in the midst of the global pandemic, and so we are not having worship in our building at 8, 30, and 11. Instead, you can find us online doing virtual worship using Zoom. You can find the information for all of that on our website at www.htelc.com. You can also like us on Facebook. And uh, those are the two primary ways in which to find our links to have worship with us. So it doesn't matter where you are, as long as you have an internet connection, you can join us for worship. So thank you for listening. We hope that you find the sermon meaningful and purposeful, that it connects to your life and how you interact with the world. And most of all, it reveals God's infinite love for you and all of creation. We continue our service with the gospel reading coming from Matthew. Today's gospel is from Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20. Jesus said to the disciples, If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you, so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. There ends the reading of the gospel. Praise be to God. Amen. So the sermon, um, well, I'll get into it, but I is going to be based around this. Uh, um, I, I hesitate to call it a quote because it's my own as I was working on the sermon, but I really liked what it had to say. Uh, Mark Edwards, I almost emailed or texted it to you yesterday as I was working on it to see if that was a correct or a good interpretation of uh, a Lutheran interpretation of things. But as a follower of Jesus, we forfeit the right to say, that's my right. Instead, we ask, what's right for my neighbor? And uh, we're going to get into the sermon. And as you'll see, I end up not preaching from the gospel lesson, but uh, I'm going to use the epistle or the second lesson that is signed, a reading from Paul and Romans. So we're going to move into that. I end up reading it here. So, uh, and I want to say this, there are some times in which I preach in which it seems like the words really flow out. It seems to come out naturally. And what I'm thinking in my head is what actually I feel uh, comes out in words. Then there's times in which I know what I want to say, but it doesn't quite come out the way I hope. I felt that way about this one. I probably started recording this one four, five times. I get five minutes in. Uh, one time I got 10, 11 minutes in. I stopped and I just had to redo it. And I actually thought about getting up this morning. So hopefully it comes out uh, and you hear what you need to hear. But I really felt like I, it didn't flow as well as I, as I had hoped. But we'll see what happens. Thanks for the reading, Brian. Unfortunately, we're not going to use the gospel reading this morning. As you know, um, from the lectionary, we generally get four readings that we can pick from for the sake of time and for the sake of 
some readings just need to be explained and not just read because there are going to be so many questions that go on. We generally read one reading at a time on a Sunday morning, and generally that is the gospel reading. But with everything going on, I wanted to preach from the Romans reading or the epistle reading that we have selected for us this morning. So let me begin with that. It comes from Romans chapter 13, 8 through 14. You can follow along as the word should be on the screen right now as well. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And besides this, you know what time it is, how it is now the moment for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we became believers. The night is far gone and the day is near. Let us then lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us live honorably as in the day, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. I think we've all heard uh, the phrase, bury your head in the sand. You know, it comes from ostriches where it's thought that they bury their head in the sand to avoid the danger around them. The irony, that's not true. Ostriches do bury their head in the sand, but not when they sense danger. They lay their eggs in the sand. And so they occasionally want to make sure that they're being heated or warmed appropriately. So they'll bury their head in the sand occasionally to turn their eggs over. But what they do, ostriches do do, <laughs> I have a seventh grade sense of humor going on right now in my head, sorry, um, is they will play dead when they sense danger. They will lie down and they lay their head and their neck flat out against the sand. And because the head and neck are lightly colored, it blends in, and so they hope that whatever danger is nearby will not notice them and move on. We know other animals do that as well. The possum is well known for playing dead. What's interesting about the opossum, though, is when it plays dead, it doesn't do it by choice. The stress that takes over the opossum's body is so severe that it actually knocks itself into an unconscious state. And it plays dead, it can last for 40 minutes up to four hours. And so it becomes oblivious to all that is going on around it. And it hopes that whatever dangers around will sense that the opossum is not alive, it's not worth attacking, and it moves on. It plays dead. I think we do that also. And I think Paul refers to that in the second part of the passage when it talks about it's time to wake up. And not to participate in reveling or drunkenness or licentiousness or quarreling or jealousy. I think when we participate in those things in unhealthy ways, it is so we can still pretend to sleep or to plead ignorance. You know what I mean? I do. Last week, I had all of these things listed up here that were causes of stress in our lives, of things that are going on in the world that are horrible. I even got overcome when I got to those 39 kids in Georgia that were found. 
And because so much is going on around us, we deal with all those emotions in unhealthy ways. I know I do. I assume you do also. <clears throat> I will eat too much, right? I've talked about before. I'll stop at Wendy's for burgers and get my drink at McDonald's because it's only a dollar for a large drink. And on my way from Wendy's to McDonald's, I'll eat the, the Wendy's burgers and then I'll buy more at McDonald's because I don't want that pit in my stomach that comes from stress or anxiety. I'd rather fill that in with a full stomach, right? So I eat unhealthy. We do that with uh, drinking at times, right? And there's nothing wrong with, with many of these things. You have to eat. Um, and we, there's nothing wrong with having a, a, a drink. But when we use them in ways in which it is to cover up what we are really feeling, when it's used in ways to numb, it's a way to put us back into sleep so we can be ignorant, so we can play dead and forget all of the worries and the concerns around us. We can just forget it all. Do you have other things that you do in which <clears throat> part of the purpose of it is simply to forget all the pain that is going on in the world so you can plead ignorance? We all do it. And we can take some healthy things that we do and we can do them in unhealthy ways. That's what Paul is encouraging us to do is to wake up to the world around us, to see what is going on and to realize that that pain is not going to last. It is temporary, that it has been defeated by Christ. It has been defeated by what God has done through Jesus and a new day is coming. The dawn is, is here. It's not in its fullness yet, right? The sun isn't up in the sky just shining down on us where it's light and warm and beautiful all the time. We're in that midst in which we're still in the midst of darkness and still in the midst of horrible things going on, but we are not called to live in the midst that the darkness is going to win. Instead, we have hope in the light that is to come and to live now as if the light has already arrived. And so the question becomes, when we wake up, when we are no longer ignorant to the world around us, we still have to ask ourselves, how do we live in this world now, in a world that still has danger and fear and anger and anxiety and war and chaos all within it? How do we behave as followers of Jesus? And I think that's what the first part of this passage from Paul is about. Owe no one anything but love. Owe no one anything but love. What is the loving thing to do? That will be the right thing to do. I had a saying on, uh, on the board earlier, and I posted on a Facebook and Instagram. If you saw it, I'm going to write it here. We forfeit the right to say, it's my right. Hey, I can do what I want. It's my right. Don't bother me. You do you. I'll do me. We're really separate from each other. It's my right. Rather, this is the Christian answer or the Christian question, the followers of Jesus question. Rather, we ask, what's right for my neighbor? What's right for my neighbor? Do you see the difference? One is focused on me. When we 
act out of fear, we act out of self-preservation, we act out of what puts me in the middle and how am I going to survive this. The Christian response is, the follower of Jesus' response is, God has defeated it through Christ. Therefore, we can be concerned, we can express love for our neighbor. What's right for my neighbor? And that's how that that's the first part of Paul. Oh, no one anything. The law is fulfilled in what's right for my neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. And as we said, that's hard to do when you're in the midst of <coughs> danger and fear and chaos. And you just want to bury your hand, head in the sand. Right? Ignorance is bliss. Can I just forget about it all? Let the world go on. Tell me when it's over. But the Christian response is to engage it, to live into it. And the way we, the way we engage is to ask ourselves, what's right for my neighbor? We go from an individual response, a concern about me. And our concern becomes about our community. It becomes about our humanity. Now, a lot of times when we want to define our community, what's right for our community, we want to say, okay, what's right for my community? And we'll define it as maybe our individual church, maybe our individual town, maybe our individual family, maybe our individual country. But in Christ, there are no bounds on what it means to be a neighbor. You can't redefine neighbor to be a specific set of people. It is everybody. The only way you can potentially redefine what is my neighbor is you have to say, what is my Oppressed neighbor. What's right for my kicked out neighbor? What is right for the least of these? And then we trust that is what will be right for us. It is such a counterintuitive thing to do in the world today. To trust that what is going to be right for someone else will be right for me. To me, that's the Christ way, the self-emptying way. The one that says, I will sacrifice for the better of you. I will sacrifice for the better of all of us. That I will not just be concerned about myself and what I have the right to do, but I will be concerned about all of us, and what is right for you. That's the way of God. I think about God. What, what good could God do? God created this all. God could say, it is my right to destroy. It is my right to condemn. It is my right to whatever. But God didn't do that. God acted out of love. God sacrificed God's self. So we may have life, which empowers us to not worry about ourselves, what's my right, and instead ask ourselves, what's right for my neighbor? Very counterintuitive way of thinking. You can see how maybe some people don't want it. Some people don't like it. Why some people left Jesus long ago why some people want to twist or tweak the message of what Christ is today, because it means I'm not the center of things. It means somebody else 
is. And I live for them the way Christ lives for me. And I trust that what's best for them is what's best for me. And that will be what's best for all of creation, all of humanity. If someone has wronged you, hurt you, yes, it is okay to protect yourself. And at times it does mean maybe we need to sever relationships or put boundaries around us so that hurt and that harm doesn't happen again. And what is the loving thing to do as well? Do you, are you able to exact revenge to cause harm back and to escalate things? Or do we love? Love ourselves by having boundaries. Love the others by showing them what healthy boundaries are. By advocating for rights for people that have been abused and hurt by those in power and authority. To me, that's the way of Christ. That is what God has done in Jesus. That is what we are called to do for the world. Amen.